Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your listening enjoyment. When I was doing the TED Talk, I was trying to emphasize, which I think you agree with, is that the hobbyists, the card stores are the heart of the industry. And any industry player that doesn't acknowledge that collectors and local card shops are at the very heart of the industry is doing so at their peril. Because I think your point was the private equity guys need the hobbyists more than the hobbyists need the private equity guys. I totally agree. If all the private equity guys and the big money went away, there'd still be a hobby. Now, it might be smaller, but it might be simpler. And the prices might be lower, and it'd still be a lot of fun for people that are truly passionate about it. But in order to grow the industry, which Fanatics wants to do, that road, I believe, goes through. I mean, the the hardcore collectors and local card shops are their ambassadors to the public at large, into their spheres of influence. Fanatics could backfire on them if they give every hobbyist a direct-to-consumer account. I don't necessarily think that's good because then they can bypass the card shops. So there's got to be some blend of cards that are more accessible and the people that really want them can get them at a reasonable price, either for their own collection as a collector or for resale as the local card shop. That's what the hobby box is supposed to be all about, but that got convoluted because you don't need to go to a hobby store to buy a hobby box anymore, right? I think that's a problem. If it's a hobby box, it ought to be only available at hobby. You ought to be surprised if you see retail in a local card shop. It means they went to the retail and they bought them and then probably marked them up. If it's a slight markup, that's one thing. I think Fanatics is going to disintermediate and in a legal way, they're going to regulate the secondary market of some cards. So you're not going to see things that are in a double, triple, quadruple, you know, immediately upon release. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that the secondary market will never be tamed. But there's some things they can do to know <laughs> who had the box, where it went, how it was transacted, yeah. where it ends up. There's legalities there, but there's just not a lot of privacy in our culture anymore. People are going to nope. know what you did. And if you bought a box and privateered it, if you did it once or twice, nobody's going to complain. But if you make a business out of that, I think fanatics don't necessarily want to stop you as much as they want a piece of it. One of my theories is people are moving into the vintage end of the pool to discover that not a lot of people are eschewing vintage to go into modern. People always seem to go backwards collecting, which is great. Hobbyists will always find a way to hobby, whether it's modern collectors evolving into vintage collectors or vintage collectors going further back into the 1800s or whatnot. The moment of truth is when the clock strikes midnight on December 31st of the year. In my neighborhood, when the new cards came out, the old cards were almost valueless. And yet it didn't make sense to us as kids back in the day. And now it certainly doesn't make sense. The new year of cards have come out, long live the new cards, but they're not throwing their other cards in the trash and realizing they have value there. That sows into their mind that older cards, even one year older, that doesn't make it vintage, but it's not the brand new card. 
If you go to a trade night or go to a show, you're going to see a lot of action in cards that are two, three, four years old. It's not that much more of a leap to just keep inching your way back. But you get in the 50s, most of those guys are dead. That's why they need to be careful because you can easily turn off a modern collector and turn them to the true secondary market of collecting cards from the 80s or 90s. You want to balance. Jim Telford, we were talking about his sports bar, restaurants. Don't tell people that modern cards are no good, that you're not talking about them in your podcast. Just say, you know what? I like vintage cards better. Modern cards are fine, but my preference is for older cards. Allow people to discover what they want to discover, but it doesn't mean vintage cards are foolproof or guaranteed or never going to go down, but it's different. They're less volatile for sure. And they're more timeless. They're not shiny. They're the technology of the day and more condition sensitive. So can you understand why someone would be leery of the industry summit or the men collective? I've been in enough rooms in a professional capacity where it seems people are getting together to figure out how to not necessarily grow something, but to separate people from something, their money or whatnot. I'm not saying the hobby is a multi-level marketing scheme, but I've been in those rooms and witnessed some of the chatter about what we need to do to make this happen. The hobby has traditionally been organic. You put the word contrived into my imagination at the national. and That seems to be what drives the hobby almost. Contrived scarcity, contrived this, contrived that. That's what people like me are hesitant about. Okay. I've never given this analogy, but I love to have new analogies. So are you familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous? Yep. Okay. So imagine an Alcoholics Anonymous conference where people come together and they're, they're it's a national conference. So it's kind of like our national convention, but it's Alcoholics Anonymous. All people say, my name is Jim, John, whatever, I'm an alcoholic. They understand the power of alcohol and they understand it's a daily consideration, let's say. Okay. So I think the hobby, if they think of themselves as an Alcoholics Anonymous conference, where they understand the power and respect of alcohol, of the thing they're really pursuing, that's one kind of convention that's kind of sobering. It's still some fun, still telling stories. Okay. Contrast that with an alcoholics convention, (laughs) what we have now. Right, and I'm not saying everybody that collects cards is an alcoholic. No, you know what? I, I've used the but analogy. They get together and yeah. they drink their own Kool Aid. They all recommend this Kool Aid to each other, and what are you drinking, yeah. and all that stuff. And they're just so exuberant about that. So there's not the restraint of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. Hey, let me tell you about my new drink that I found. My drink of choice. Right. And, uh, yeah, well, I've got a better wine or I've got a better mixed drink or a better beer or something like that. I think that's what it is. And I think it needs to be more like Alcoholics Anonymous where, hey, we understand this is a really powerful thing, but we need to keep it in perspective. I and- vacillate between the hobby is drunk or it's in a perpetual state of adolescence. It feels like we go back and forth between them. I think there's a hangover coming. And I'm not talking about price drops. I think we need to be like AA and, and we need to well, right our wrongs. Okay. Just staying with the alcohol thing is it talking about a bunch of teenagers drinking too much, whatever. I'm wondering if we think back of some of our friends back in the day who probably drank too much, what happened to them now? Did they continue on that path? Did they get sober? 
have a damaged liver, whatever. A fair number of the people from my high school and that I knew in college that drank too much, it really messed them up. But not all of them. Some of them came to some crossroads and dealt with it. I think it's the same thing in the hobby. You got people that just get drunk on the success they have and the exhilaration they have from really enjoying the experience. They're with like-minded people who enjoy what they enjoy and they get swept up in it. And then maybe they get a dose of reality and they realize, you know what, everything is not just going to keep going up. Some things go up and then they go down, then they go up again, then they go down again. There's not a sure thing. I need to have some restraint. I just think a lot of alcoholics get into magical thinking. They don't think about the consequences. Or you black out and don't remember anything. They get swept up into it. If you're drinking and you're in a trade night, it's getting later, you're being less inhibited. Does that mean you're going to be more aggressive in your trading? Probably. Would you do a questionable trade? Yeah. Part of the fun of it. Drunk on money, though. That's the thing, right? Or greed, but it goes hand in hand. If you're younger, you've got many decades to make it up. If you're older, you're thinking, you don't have that many decades to make it up now. I need to be more intentional, more purposeful about what I want to keep, what I want to release, what I want to trade for. I don't mean to be too sobering because a hobby is a lot of fun. Oh, for sure. It's, it's over the line, especially if you're borrowing money or taking money away from your family's funds, especially surreptitiously. There's a lot of enabling going on. I equate that with borrowing on margin. And stuff like that, which has crept into the hobby. If you surround yourself with a bunch of yes men, if you're a dude, and you got people that say, hey, John, you smart. I believe in you. If you're in favor of it, you're a smart guy. You're going to figure it out. Count me. I'm in your camp. You've got to have at least one no friend that says, John, what are you thinking? You're not very diversified. You're going pretty heavy into cards. Yep. Well, what's your backup plan? It's not a sure thing. Right. At least one friend that's going to say, wait, slow down. And that doesn't mean he's not your friend. The problem is if you don't have any friends like that, they're all agreeing with you. Speaking about the private equity guys, if you have a great idea and you go to your family, they don't want to rain on your parade. Right. Oh, this is right. great. Oh, I think it's really going to work. Can we give you some money? You know, they're not going to give you millions of dollars, but they're going to fund your first year or something. And it might be the dog won't hunt. And nobody in your family is going to tell you that. Same thing with card collecting. When you pay above comps for something, you're not thinking, well, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking. I want to pay below comps, or I want to buy things that have no comps. I want to buy what people aren't talking about. You can't flex with that. You say, hey, I won this at the new world record price, and I am the world record holder. That's dangerous, especially when you do that consistently. You require a raging bull market to keep you in the black. 